Welcome to Life on Purpose. My name is James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now success coach to leaders and high performers. Each week, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you live your life on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to tell you about the Purpose Club. I started the Purpose Club quite some time ago so that I could coach people of all backgrounds. Not everybody has access to coaching and certainly it can be out of people's price range. So I wanted to create a community where I coach my members each month and it's incredibly affordable and I do a deep dive monthly live session and deliver my best techniques, strategies and habits. And I impart great lessons on leadership motivation, mindset, abundance, habit installation, and you're creating a lasting legacy. There's free replays in there from all the previous live casts. There's high impact worksheets for you to take home and actually work through throughout the month. You'll receive weekly planning emails with actual planners to fill out your week. You'll get a weekly self-evaluation email where you can evaluate yourself on all different levels, relationship, life, business, wealth, career, everything that you want. You'll get weekly journal prompts to really get your mind tuned into that higher level thinking. And also on a monthly basis, you'll get planning worksheets and reflections for your month. So if you would like to learn about it, please get in touch with me or someone in my team, you know, jump onto Instagram, James Lachlan Official, drop me a DM, or you can email me, james at jjlachlan.com, or just go to the website, jjlachlan.com and check it out. Enjoy the show, and I hope to see some of you guys over in the Purpose Club. I'm incredibly excited to welcome in this week's guest, Michelle Sharp. Michelle is originally from the UK, but emigrated to New Zealand with her family and is now the CEO of UNICEF New Zealand. Enjoy the show. Michelle, a massive welcome to the Life on Purpose podcast. Great. Lovely, lovely to meet you, James. Look forward to yeah. having a coffee in person one day. <laughs> it's going to happen. It definitely has to happen. I'm so glad to, to connect with you. And what you're doing is so inspiring. And it's funny when I started to kind of research about who you were and I figured out, ah, oh, you're connected with a few other people that I know and respect. So Simon Challies, who we've just chatted about off air before this, yeah. uh, you've known and, and you've worked with Simon. So that's uh, such a small world here in New Zealand, eh? It really, really is. It's kind of, it's, you know, the rest of the world is a half a degree of separation. I think it's not even a whole person. <laughs> New Zealand and Christchurch in particular yeah I 100% great. agree really good. well what I'd love to yeah. do is kind of look at your story so how did you end up here in New Zealand and you know how did you transition from the corporate world and then end up a CEO of UNICEF which uh, is an organization that I admire and uh, I support 
Yeah, and I have to say thank you, James. It makes me so happy to have heard offline beforehand that your five-year-old gets super, super excited when they're Paddington postcards every every month. So that's just, yeah, to make one kid happy is amazing to make many and to know that your son in doing so supporting such an important um you know, humanitarian aid that we provide. So I'm um, super happy to have heard that, hey? Love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did I end up in New Zealand? Well, I started by marrying a Kiwi. That was quite a useful way to end up here. <laughs> so um, I met my husband, um, Jason Sharp, in the UK where we were both at Vodafone. Um, and um, both of us, I would say probably both very entrepreneurial. And we we chose to leave Vodafone at exactly the same time, both to pursue um, startup worlds two different startups. His was the high risk, high return version, and mine was the low risk, low return version. Um, and um, anyway, um, you know what it's, uh, if you've worked in a startup, it's incredibly hard work. You're putting everything into it, um, paying yourself very little. Um, and then I accidentally fell pregnant twice through that period, then worked out how the whole thing works. And um, <laughs> anyway, so stopped the two children. But I had this crazy time where I had this organization that I was a founding director of that was growing so fast, a mixture of reasons, organically, but also through acquisition. Um, it was during the global GFC, and we had money where others were running out of money. So we took that opportunity to buy six businesses in my time. Um, so all of a sudden, I had two very, very young children, and I was running um, a national organization in the UK that was across, um, you know, every touched every part of the UK. So very, very challenging. And on top of that, um, I... I have had a, a very, um, I've had a very certain leadership style my whole life, and I had thought naively that going into an organisation that was my own, that I'd be able to apply it in a way that it was going to be accepted, and it wasn't. So I had all of those dynamics going on as well. So you know, a, a young a mother of two young children working every hour, earning less than I'd ever earned. And having my values challenged. So one morning, I just well, actually what actually happened, if I'm being totally honest, is I had this out-of-body experience where I landed on the floor and this whale sound came out of me. Like, and my husband just stood there looking at me going, we're going to talk about that tonight. Something's just happened. And what that resulted in is realising that I was um, probably putting so much pressure on myself um, whilst also having my leadership values compromised. Mm. And I said to my husband, I can't just walk away from Tomiko. It's, you know, I've, I've poured five years of myself into this. I can't just kind of leave the job and sort of watch it you know and he said what happens if we move far away I was like okay that might be a bit easier so um we ended up in New Zealand so that's the story of how I ended up here that's amazing and stepping away from that life uh, that uh, life of entrepreneur startup corporate that must have been incredibly challenging to take that step yeah I mean at the time um I guess focusing on the fact that I was lifting and shifting a um you know, have, I've been in, um, in the UK by then, well, since the age of 15. So I was shifting a whole lifetime with children and house and, you know, an entire lifetime. I really focused on that. And rather than focusing on the fact that I'm leaving this behind and I'm going to the other side of the world where I don't know anybody, I really focused on the actual move and what it was going to do for the children. Um, looking back, I think I was incredibly, well, we were incredibly brave because although my husband was a Kiwi, he hadn't lived in New Zealand since he was I think about 18 because he was a professional rugby player that ended up in Scotland. Um, so, yeah, but the best thing ever. We told ourselves we we're doing it for two years. And I think that made it easier on our mindset and on our family in the UK as well. But that was 12 years ago. So, yeah, that's incredible. Very much home. Mm. Such courage. And it's so interesting because I hear that 
what you did there was you focused on positive psychology. It's like, okay, I'm not leaving all this stuff behind. I'm actually focusing on what I'm going to and the positive yeah. outcome for my family and my children. That's powerful. Yeah, and I think that probably talks a lot to who I am as a person. I often in my life, have, I have moments where I look back at something going, wow, was I naive? Was I brave? What was I at that point? But it's because at the time I was just really focusing on the positive and the forward looking rather than dwelling on what may not be. So, yeah. That's <laughs> amazing. Do you find that you like default to that in your leadership style? So when you're leading a team or individuals, do you find that you are always defaulting like, hey, here's the vision, here's what we're working towards rather than getting stuck in the mud? Very much. So um, if I look at, uh, I don't know if you've done Gallup Strength Finders, but my t- in my top five strengths, strategic thinking, which is all about painting the picture of the future um, and positivity as well. So with those, the mixture of those two, I think, give me a real distinctive leadership style. Um, which means that I'm always painting. And then self-assurance is a third one, which means that people believe in the believe in me because they believe that I believe in the vision, if that makes sense. Yep. So it's, yeah, so that's very much how I lead people. It's really talking about the vision, but then bring it back down to what are the, what are the non-scary steps that we have to take in order to get there? Because not everybody can look so far away and be comfortable that they'll get there. So then adapting that for different people to bring it back to those the stepping stones that make it feel really easy and natural to get there. That sounds brilliant. And in terms of leadership, because I've talked to leaders of all different backgrounds, different countries, and the one thing that kept coming up was uh, they said, James, at some point in our career, and even sometimes still today, we have this like, am I enough? And like that imposter syndrome or that doubt. So was there ever a point where you're like, whoa, this is a big deal. Like, I might be out of my depth. Do I know what I'm doing? Have you ever felt that way in any of your leadership positions? In every single one. <laughs> and anyone who tells you that, I think anyone who tells you that they don't um, probably doesn't have a lot of self-awareness or something. I don't know. There's always going to be a time. But in every, even like literally one of the, when I look back, one of the bravest things I ever did is um, going from um, being the managing director, the, the leader of Tomiko in the UK, a multinational, very fast growing, won the Microsoft Tech Track fastest growing tech company award in, you know, quite a few years in a row, to applying for 20 hours a week as a business development manager in a small charity in Christchurch, right? Even at that point where I kind of felt that everything I had done historically probably led to being a really good you know, um, position for uh, and skill set, I'm still nervous because I've never worked in the not-for-profit sector. So every time there's always a point where you think and you question going, goodness, am I good enough? Do I have the skill set? But then I think what I've just said earlier about the fact that I always look at the positive and the forward, that's what gets me through it. That's brilliant because I was literally just about to ask, so if you have this self-doubt, how do you get to the other side of that self-belief? And so for you, it's like, actually, I look to the other side, I look to the future, and that's what compels me to move forward. Yeah, I think it's that. And it's also the fact that probably in the last, I'd say the last decade, probably since I've lived in New Zealand, I've also been very open with my team around when there is self-doubt and and knowing what I'm good at and knowing what I'm not so good at and therefore not trying to mask that I'm everything. And I think that really empowers other people to step into that space that I'm not so comfortable in as well. So for me, if you said to me, Michelle, go and stand on a stage and talk to 2,000 people, or you can choose to go and write a 10-page document I'd always choose the stage rather than document because I'm highly dyslexic and that just kind of terrifies me so rather than pretending I'm that or rather than having a permanent ghostwriter I make a joke around the office saying who wants to be my ghostwriter you know for this bit of work so I think it's about actually showing those vulnerabilities 
And that creates a culture where others are able, empowered to do the same, but also empowered to step into that space. And I think that there's something quite powerful about that. Oh, incredibly powerful. And because I've interviewed lots of male and female leaders, I would say that female leaders lead the way in showing how you can lead with vulnerability. And Brene Brown's one of the classics, right? Leading, uh, reading, uh, I think it's called Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. It's a great book around vulnerability. And I wish that more of us male leaders would look to the female leaders and go, wow, that is amazing. We need more of that. Because to me, that's one of the greatest strengths as a leader saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not really sure what to do. Do any of you guys know what to do? That's massive courage. Exactly. I remember my husband, who's also CEO, um, he used to ring me at the most unfortunate times during the day going, Michelle, how do I do this in Excel? Or how do, what does this mean from a financial perspective? Because I'm kind of very much on the finance side of the, of the ledger. And I said to him one day, why, why don't you ask your team? Why do you always call me when I'm in the middle of a meeting and I can't really help? He says, oh, because then they'll know that I don't understand it. I'm like, mate, you need to go and be open with this. And he's actually taken that on board. And it kind of, you know, he's now leading in a way which he's saying this is the right thing to do. You know, actually, by not trying to pretend that I'm perfect and I know everything, it makes me more real and therefore more believable. And therefore, people buy into me more because I'm being genuine. So that's the other thing is you're being yourself, you know. That's brilliant. And would you say, like, throughout your career, have you found that there has been challenges being a female leader that male leaders maybe would not have had to go through or be, be faced with? There's been things and you're like, oh, that's that's me. I've had to work harder. I've had to prove myself more. I've very genuinely never felt a glass ceiling, which is something that people often ask me about. And I think that's because I'm a product of my father who um, made me, I kind of never really had a sense that I was a female versus a male throughout my childhood like he always thought that I could achieve anything in the world and he kind of you know almost gave me permission to know that I could achieve anything in the world so at the time I never felt a glass ceiling when I look back now I do think of times going oh that was actually very much harder for me than it was for my male colleagues and in particular because my early career I've spent exactly half my career now in the high-tech IT space and exactly half in the NGO space and I'd say my early career was all in the um, tech IT space which was very male dominated back in the day and there were times where, like, there's no doubt I had to work differently and harder than my male colleagues to achieve the same. I didn't feel it at the time because I was probably doing that positive looking forward thing. But when I look back now, I reflect and go, yeah, that was definitely challenging at the time. I think the other thing that whether this is a male or female thing or not is, you know, females tend to have a much higher emotional intelligence. Therefore, I notice the subtleties of when things aren't working in a team way more than my male colleagues. And I therefore wear that burden more. So I'm the one that's panicking about the person who genuinely look that something's going on over there. My male colleagues won't even notice. Or I understand the tone that's happened between two people way more than some of my male colleagues. And I think that in itself in leadership can be because you, you then in a male environment, if you're one of the only people noticing that, you have to take on that responsibility to be the one to to deal to those things, which is, you know, quite a lot. So, Absolutely. And yeah. for male leaders out there that are listening going, whoa, you're right. I really do need to level up my EQ and, and really look at my emotional intelligence. Is there a way that you could say, hey, guys, you might want to go and read this book or you might want to think about this or here's a skill that you might want to improve? I would... It's the subtleties. That's a hard thing. I don't know if you can teach that. And I can't Mm. think of a book that you could go to, but maybe just being more aware Mm. and just making a point and deliberate point of being aware of interactions and the subtleties, the body movements, the 
I don't know. It's just, it's hard. And I don't know. I don't think you can teach EQ, can you? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't but, think, um, I think it's a skill. It's, I think it's very innate to the individuals that have a high level of it for sure. And there's probably yeah. ways to improve it through listening, but there are certain things where people just don't get the cues. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I've, so I do feel that throughout my career, I've had to play a really large role in being the one that gets the subtleties and therefore owns them and therefore has to deal with them, which can be quite you know, a burden if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's not a male-female thing, clearly, but I think it tends to be typically that females tend to have an eye, higher EQ. But, um, yeah, so and boys, be more aware. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So that burden, so when you carry that burden, how do you manage that? So you're running a company, you're running your own life, and you've also got a family. So how do you manage that burden so that you can still thrive in those other areas? Um, I think I tend to use um, the tool of compartmentalization, compartmentalization a lot in order to deal with things. So when I'm at work, I'm very present at work and I'm not stressing about what I'm not doing at home and vice versa. Um, so I, I think it's just about being really organized and really deliberate about when you're in the moment, you're in the moment or whatever you're in the moment in. So when I you know, leave the office at five, knowing I've got a ton of emails to do, but I'm going to dedicate my five to eight o'clock to the children. I do that. And then when they're settled, I then go back into work mode. So I think it's kind of, but, but you have to be adaptable with that as well. Clearly, I'm not talking about it being an exact precise um, recipe or formula, but um, yeah. And, and not allowing yourself to get overwhelmed with the enormity of everything. So. That really is as powerful. I spoke with, Christopher Luxon a few years ago, and he said exactly the same thing. He has older kids now who are in their 20s, but when he had kids young, he said same thing. You get up early, do a little bit of the email stuff, and then you come yeah. home, spend the evening and dinner, and then once they kind of head to bed, it's like, okay, I'll do it a little bit more. Yeah. So being very compartmental with, with organizing skills. Yeah, exactly. And that's very much how I've led since having children, my entire work-life balance. And I think now that I'm older as well, I think it's also being super comfortable in my own skin to say, I know I'm the CEO or whatever, but I'm still leaving at five because mm. I've got children and I'm not, so I'm not going to be the first in the office. I'm not going to be the last out of the office. And that breeds a really good culture where people can then feel that they can be who they are. Um, so I think that's the other thing. When I was younger, it was much harder for me to do that because I somehow felt that the measure of my success was around the investment, but what I, what people would see rather mm. than now I know that, you know, I'm much more confident in my own capability and ability and the fact that nobody's going to think I'm, just because I'm, you know, arriving at nine and leaving at five, that that's actually my full day. I think that's amazing, particularly for other leaders or aspiring leaders to hear that because often people want to like wear like a badge of honor. Like I do 150 hour weeks, you know, and I get up at 3 a.m. and I go to bed at 11 p.m. And so it's great for people to hear that to run a company, you do not need to do that. And in fact, there's a lot of costs involved in, in running. So doing that. Yeah. 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 So, well, if you go back to my time in the UK, that's probably why I ended up at the bottom of the stairs with that ridiculous sound coming out of me for that exact reason. Mm. Sorry, yeah, exactly. James, No, not at all. No, I absolutely agree. And going back to that moment, because that's like a rock bottom moment, right? That's a, something is awful. I need to make a change. So what was the conversation like that night that you did have with your husband? Like, how, how did you guys like figure out, okay, this is really not healthy. This is not right. Yeah, well, I guess because, you know, Jason had also been so busy focusing on his own startup and actually his high risk, high return was being very, very impacted by the, you know, the global financial state. 
So he was so focused on his world and and I don't think he'd appreciated how much of the family life I'd taken on, as well as the fact that I had my own business I was trying to run. Um, So in asking those questions, I think we both realized when I kind of started talking about it out loud is that um, it was virtually impossible in that environment that I was in to get that, what the the work um, life balance that I needed. Um, And the fact that it was me putting the pressure on myself, but because of my character, unless I removed myself from that situation, nothing was going to change because I I know what I'm like and I know I'm a perfectionist and I'm a finisher. And so I knew that in that environment, that mixture of this startup world that was growing very fast and two very young children, I was going to keep doing that. I was going to keep having a go at myself of being being bad at both. And that's when we decided actually something significant has to change. That and the fact, as I said, that I felt that, you know, I'd, I'd spent my whole life working for other people where my values as a leader were being challenged because they were expected to be X, but they were really Y. Mm. And I thought that this was an opportunity for me to really be able to shine in terms of what I thought leadership should be. And I wasn't able to do that. So the combination of both those things meant that we thought, actually, we need a big change. Let's do something totally dramatic. Well done. Very dramatic indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm talking about leadership. So what, what do you view leadership as? What does leadership mean? Yeah, so um, to me, leadership is it's very, very different to management. Clearly, I think we all know that. So leadership is about creating the space and the environment to allow others to absolutely succeed by painting a vision, understanding as an organization what your reason for existence is, what is your purpose, and by explaining to the team, this is our mission, this is how we're going to do what we're going to do in the context of who, why we exist to what the vision is. And then constantly communication is the biggest thing. So for me, leadership is, is, yeah, it's about painting the picture and making sure the pathway is there, but allowing your team through trust, empowerment, total understanding as to what role they play in your mission to be able to be the best that they can be of who they are. That's beautiful. I love it. And in terms of empowering other leaders within your team, so do you have any processes, frameworks or, or programs to help them flourish as leaders? Um, I think that varies depending on the context of the organization. So look, let's take UNICEF. I've been here for nine months now. We're a brand new executive team. So we're going to have to do a huge amount of stuff, whatever that looks like, in order for us to really be, you know, become a high-performing leadership team where we are like you know, team A. Um, and I think, so I think it really depends on the context. So for a mixture of actually just time, um, clearly there are tons of tools that you can do. So yes, definitely. In the context of my time now at UNICEF, we're just working through what that looks like because we're literally just newly forming right now. And right. some of them will be really simple things like making sure we've all done whatever, whether it's Galaxy Strength Finder or whatever it is, and understanding the fact that we're all different and how we interrelate with each other through to just having a good old two days together and, you know, um, having a bit of fun and getting to know who we are as people through to some more formal things. You know, we've got an, um, a, an, an external organization right now that's helping us through really what does our vision mean? What's our purpose mean? How does that translate into our mission? And what's that look like? How do we tell what's our narrative? You know, that's so, beautiful. yeah, diff- yeah. I love it. And at UNICEF, what makes it what makes it so amazing to work there? What, what do you love about oh. Everything. I feel so, so lucky. I feel like everything that I had done for my whole career, you know, half in the private sector, tech sector, 
half of it in the NGO sector primarily is um, CEO of Kilmarnock Enterprises, beautiful Kilmarnock Enterprise in Christchurch. Um, and then I've just had a stint of a year and a half back at Vodafone in New Zealand. I feel that everything that I have done has culminated to this point in my career now. I'm so excited, James, so excited. You know, UNICEF, a 75-year-old organization that is the United Nations Arm for Children and Children's Rights, um, to be the largest vaccinator um, immunizer um, of children in the world. We vaccinate already half the children in the world, almost half the children in the world, to, you know, single-handedly with partners to have eradicated polio just about. You know, it's really amazing stuff, plus all the thematic work, work that we do. Being present in 192 countries so we can respond to emergencies. And clearly the latest thing, which just I did not know this when I um, joined um, UNICEF, we're now um, part of um, the COVAX um, Alliance, which basically is immunizing 92 countries. So where we've gone from immunizing children, we're now responsible for immunizing low and middle income countries around the world. Mm. That is just that, you know, we're, we're in this crazy, crazy situation. Um, you know, many years time when somebody's listening to this podcast and they'll go, that was when the pandemic was <laughs> rife around the world. To be able to play such an active role in being part of the solution that's just so empowering, you know, so empowering. So what a privilege. Get, That's exciting. It's a privilege. Thrilling. It's a real privilege. And um, and what I get really excited about is, you know, UNICEF out there on New Zealand is a small part of UNICEF, clearly globally. We're never going to be the biggest fundraising arm of UNICEF globally. But what I do think we can do because UNICEF New Zealand's known for this is I think we can be the most innovative part of the of business. So how can we use technology? to really drive transparency so that you, with your Paddington postcards, you can go on an app one day and see this is exactly where the money's going to. This is the impact I have had through buying um, postcards for my child, you know, or whatever that is. How can we use um, blockchain to make sure that the, um, the vaccination that is leaving here is actually getting to the right person without anything going um, astray in the middle? So I love that. I've, thought of getting the iPad out with Finn at five years old and seeing yes. where Paddington, that card that comes from Paddington, that he's, he's supporting an organization for him to see, oh, that's what difference it's making like on an iPad and seeing it live, maybe some video content. But to me, that stuff is awesome. That That's next level brilliant. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I feel very, very fortunate. I feel like I'm a custodian at the moment of something amazing. I will give it an absolute big push for the next number of years. And um, and watch this space. I really look forward. Um, I think we we could be a lot more relevant in New Zealand um, than we are today. I grew up in Mexico, and UNICEF was everywhere. Like it was a because you know UNICEF is invited in by government, so it's a very trusted um, brand. In fact, I've heard that it's the most trusted brand globally if you take everything into consideration. So I think we have a huge opportunity here now, Daroa, to really really tell a story but we need to get our narrative right. And we have an opportunity with this COVAX piece, you know, as the, we are turning a vaccine into vaccinations. That's our role. That's Two billion plus by January vaccines. Wow, for COVID. incredible. I know. And in terms Very of New Zealand, UNICEF in New Zealand, uh, what's the greatest challenge for you guys to become more relevant here? I think it's a couple of things. Um, I think because um, certainly historically, Everything that we have done is international aid, humanitarian aid. A lot of New Zealanders quite rightly are going, hang on a minute, but surely charity starts at home. And I think what we could be doing a better job of is actually articulating the massive power that we have. Rather than being a service provider in New Zealand, 
we want to be the trusted arm of government to be able to help them make really good decisions around policies. That's the voice that we can have. Because we are UNICEF, we are United Nations, we can have a much bigger impact in New Zealand through our advocacy um, and through our narrative than turning up and, you know, providing sandwiches somewhere, for example. So it's really telling the story of the, the massive impact, positive impact we can have here locally. Mm, that's powerful. And in terms of crisis, so when you're leading, say, UNICEF and, you know, you hit a crisis, which and I guess arguably we're in one of the greatest crises of all times right now with COVID. How do you respond as a leader in times of crisis? I think that's probably where I come into my own. That's probably me at my best. I'm a very, and this is where it's a crisis with business, whether there's, you know, some emergency or accident, you know, in any in any um, environment. I think I get this absolute clarity of thinking and I know exactly what questions to ask in order to make really quick decisions. So um, I'd say I'm calm and um, and again, I, I, I have a way of bringing the right people in and asking them the questions. I'm not the expert, but I know exactly what to ask to pull the pieces together to make really quick decisions on what needs to happen. What a skill set. Like knowing the right questions to ask can lead to such better outcomes. Right? When you ask the wrong question or a slightly skewed question, you're going to be in a way different direction. So that, to me, that is a superpower. So good on you for, for having that. <laughs> yeah, I think I discovered that early on in like, you know, a car crash when something's happened and people are panicking and somehow I felt that I could be the calm voice of asking the right questions to make the right decisions. And it's exactly the same thing you can apply to business in, in an emergency or crisis. So, I love it. And do you have any habits, anything that you think helps make you that calm, consistent leader, whether it's exercise or personal development, or is there anything you do that you're like, yeah, that really helps me stay steady? Um, I don't know. I mean, I do do a lot of exercise. I'm a very deliberate person. It's probably what I call myself. Nothing in my life has been a total surprise, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I've always set myself goals. I've always been very deliberate about, you know, personal development and learning. And in my young career, I was super deliberate about exposure into this type of business and then that part of business and that part of business. So I think the mixture of being a very deliberate person mixed with that mental well-being, which is exercise and mindfulness and healthy eating, I guess, um, probably all plays a part. I, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I was just born with this quirky way of my brain working. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, lucky stars. I love it. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I just want to say a huge thank you. And I've actually got one last question. I always like to ask guests at the end. And, you know, for you, what does living a life of purpose actually mean? It means that my core, core, core values show up every day, even at the inconvenient times. So I know I was put on this earth. I now know more than ever to use the tool of business for good Mm -hmm. and and being able to bring my core values of kindness and care and compassion and inclusivity through my leadership, through the work I do, that is what a true life purpose is. And in, in every aspect of my life, not just business, but in mentoring, in going to the supermarket and being kind to the person in front. It's in every aspect of my life. That's so powerful. That you take your values and they're not your corporate values, they're not your home values, they're your life values and they, they go into every area of your life that's powerful well michelle thank you so so much i'm looking forward to more people jumping on the unicef website and supporting your mission and if anybody's got parent uh, got kids or a parent who's got kids please sign up for the paddington uh the paddington postcards they're quite amazing yeah thank that you global James. campaign thank you. 
Yes, global. Yeah. So okay. that's the thing. Little New Zealand here may not be the biggest fundraiser, but when it all adds up to what we do globally, it is off the charts amazing. Yeah. Like off the charts amazing. So if anybody's here listening from North America or Europe or anywhere, you can join that campaign and support it. So please yeah. do. Please that's do. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, so great to connect with you. And I look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Yeah. Thanks, James. Lovely to meet you. Thanks a million. so much for listening in today and investing in your own personal growth please hit that subscribe button i would love 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 if you'd leave me a rating and review that really helps me to impact more people i've got some amazing guests lined up in the coming weeks and folks it's that time get out there and live life on purpose